I uh, hate to announce and admit that uh, because I am so uh, technically challenged, that that Facebook Live did not go live, but, and, we, and it was so good too, wasn't it? We, we did a good job, but Jesse, who is now our um, media uh, guru, got a videotape in the back, and he's going to upload it to my Facebook as soon as, as, soon as uh, church is over, so, so he covered my butt. All right. Can you say that in church from the pulpit? No. Well, we're not live. So, oh, wait, this is being recorded. All right. All right. Well, uh, again, if you're here for the first time, welcome to the Gathering Place Church. We love Jesus. We love the Holy Spirit and we love the Word of God. And so... The Bible says that the Word of God is settled forever in heaven. It's in the earth where there's a controversy over the Word. But once you cross the line and you decide that the Word of God, the Bible, is literally the words of God, you go to a whole new level in relating to God, knowing God, um, your closeness to God, your faith, your hope. Um, you believe every promise in the Bible is to you personally, and you live on them. I pray you cross that line today if you haven't crossed that line. And one, the most important thing the Bible says is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I pray today you will believe that, and you'll give your life to him. For everyone else who has already come to Jesus, I pray today you will deepen your loyalty and commitment and your love for him. And that you'll walk with him uh, more closely and more courageously. So, are you guys ready to get into the Word? All right, here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the Word of God. We thank you we live in a country where we can publicly and without fear open the Bible, invite the Holy Spirit to teach us, and walk out here just fed by the living Word of God without fear of imprisonment or persecution. We pray for our brothers and sisters all over the planet who don't have that liberty and they have to meet in secret. And they love you so much, Jesus. We pray you protect them and reveal yourself to them. And, and we pray for those who don't know you all throughout the Middle East and all over. Keep revealing yourself to them by appearing to them in dreams and visions like you've been doing to millions and millions of Muslims and Hindus and so many others who just need you, Jesus. We pray for them. And... Uh, We pray that your kingdom come and your will be done throughout the entire planet. I'm going to pray this one last thing. Lord, I pray today that you would cause our light in this house to shine more brightly. I pray, Lord, for all of us that every individual believer here and follower of Jesus would be so absolutely unashamed and unbridled in our, our, our dedication to you. That we would go anywhere and do anything and say anything to anybody at any time when your Holy Spirit prompts us. So that your kingdom can truly engulf our city and we can see your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. So let me ask you a question. How long can you go without food? Just, just shout, shout, out, shout out for yourself. How long can you go without food? Three hours. Are we got three? Do I hear four? Do I hear four? How long can you go without food? couple of days? All right, anybody top a couple of days? 
Come on, shout it out. How long can you go without food? Seven what? Minutes? Three days? Okay, how long can a person who is uh, physically healthy, like, go without food, like, in a, a uh, medical assessment? Physiological, how, how long can a human being go without food? Do you know? 40 days. 40 days. How long can you go without water? Seven days? I thought it was three days. I don't know. Well, hey, you know, then there's the supernatural. (laughs) Yeah, so 40 days for food, three days for water is what they say. And John chapter 6 and 7, didn't Les do a great job last week? Les brought a great word out of John chapter 6. We're in the Gospel of John, by the way, so... Be reading the Gospel of John. Let the Holy Spirit take you on a ride while we go through this book. Um, Let's talk about the signs and how signs point us to Jesus. Jesus did these signs to point us to him. I want to continue in John chapter 6. And next week we'll go to John 7. because There's no way I can do them both today. But I want to. Because Jesus very clearly in John chapter 6 and John chapter 7 says that he, he is our food, and he is our water. What he is saying is in the same way that you and I cannot go very long at all without physical food and without actual water, he's saying you cannot survive without me. Now, certainly physically we can. But today I'm calling this message soul satisfaction. You and I are groping and searching as human beings on the planet. When Adam and Eve fell from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden, their souls began to die. And what you and I have done since that time until now is we try to find soul peace, joy for our souls, contentment for our souls. I mean, think about the amount of pills that we take. You know, the United States is the most prosperous nation in the world, and yet we are called the Prozac generation. And I'm not saying this to condemn or shame or criticize anybody. It's a soul search is what it is. For Unfortunately, not only for our non-believers, but also for believers. And I believe it's because of this, primarily. I believe we're still a materialistic people. We truly believe that acquisitions and, and prosperity and promotion and Material belongings, uh, homes and cars and degrees and careers are going to satisfy our souls. And they do not. They're fun. They're exciting. You can even make a, make a difference with, with your career or with your ministry or whatever. But that's all external stuff. What Jesus is saying is, I am a shepherd of your soul. Jesus said this, what is it if a man gains the whole world, but what? Loses his or her soul. Jesus is the only one that can touch our souls in the deepest places possible. And that's what he's teaching here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the human form, 
literally jumps right into the mosh pit of the epicenter of religion in the world at that time in Jerusalem. And he comes against religion, which is human effort to reach God. All these external things we do, like, hey, the 30 for 30, prayer in the word, that can become religion. When you feel shame and guilt for not doing it, that's religion. When you and I think, if I pray and if I read the Bible, I'll be closer to Jesus, maybe not. Because the people he's talking to in John 6 and 7 knew the Bible better than you and I ever will, and they did not know God. In fact, I'm going to show you a scripture. If you'll jump back with me, this is really important. Go back to John chapter 5. If you guys follow me back there, Chris. John chapter 5. And in verse 39, listen to what Jesus says to what are called the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the people who knew the Bible the best and taught everybody the Bible. But they didn't know God. Their religion was their reading. And so in John chapter 5, he says this in verse 39. You search... The scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Look what he says in the next verse. But, everybody say but. But. This is a big but in the Bible right here. You don't want to miss this one, all right? But you are not willing to come to me that you may have eternal life. The Word of God is God's words. We're going to find Jesus says this in just a minute. But the words of God are to draw us to God Himself. I don't want my children just having a relationship with my voice. I want them to have a relationship with me. I write my children, don't tell them this, every birthday I write them a birthday letter. They don't know about it. I give it to them when they're 18 years old. So Elliot, my son who's 18 and at UCSD, he he got... 18 birthday letters on his 18th birthday. And every, every birthday I tell them how much I love them, what I see, your strengths, how God made you, right? The experiences we've had over this last year, the joy you bring to my heart, so that he will never, ever doubt that his dad sees him and knows him and loves him. But I don't want him to have a relationship with the letters I wrote him. They point to our relationship, our father-son real-time relationship. Like last night, he came to Ramona, but he didn't stop by the house. He's in trouble. I live in Ramona. He went to a friend's house. So his mom sent him an angry emoji, right? We don't want him to be near us. We want him to be with us. God doesn't just want you to know about him, read letters about him, be near him. He wants you to be with him. That's why he created us, which is why when you and I aren't close to God, life doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. We don't have soul satisfaction when all we're trying to do is build a stairway to heaven. I hate that song. I love the music. Hate the... Hey, John Bonham is not a better drummer, but except he did die by vomiting and choking on it himself because he didn't know Jesus. I digress. Sort of. Sort of. Led Zeppelin. Supposedly the best rock band in history, they say. Right? Get the lead out. I can't believe you turn the radio off and a Led Zeppelin song comes on. But on the top of the world. But he's but he's he gets plastered drunk all the time and then he vomits and he chokes on it and dies. Because the music, the fame, the money was not satisfying John Bonham's soul. It's not what Jesus created him for. When I see people who are 
you know, on the streets in El Cajon and they're prostitutes or I see people who are, you know, known for beating their wives or I see, you know, people that are, are you know, com- committing suicide or whatever it might be. Or I look and I think, gee, that's not, something happened along the way and they got dis- derailed. Something, they got hurt. Something happened to them. And I know the solution is what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus wants you and I to have as close of a relationship with him as we do with food. That's his whole point in this chapter. Let's start reading. Because I've been preaching and haven't even read anything yet. Here we go. John chapter 6. And in verse 30, uh, no, verse uh, 27, he just did a miracle where he fed the 20,000 people, 5,000 women and children. He just did a miracle, fed them a bunch of bread, right, and fish. And then they follow him to the next town, and he says to this, in verse, uh, we're going to start in verse 26. Okay, 26. You with me? Great. Here we go. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, they're following him because they met his, he met their needs. And that's really primarily why we follow Jesus initially. He touches our souls. I remember I was 19 years old. I was in love with my girlfriend, but I knew that I was empty. I was getting drunk. I was partying. I was going to college. But I kept getting emptier and emptier, you know. I mean, I was having a great time, and yet the hole in me would get bigger. So I'd drink more, and the next morning I'd wake up, and the hole in me was bigger. It was emptier and emptier. I took more classes at at college, and I thought, I'll just fill up my life. And the more I filled up my life, the emptier it got. It was a dichotomy. I couldn't figure it out. And then somebody introduced me to Jesus, and I said, no, that's not it for sure. But after going to church three times, and there were fun and they're they laughing and they're joyful and everybody had a Bible and they had a live band. I'm like, what is this? And everybody's happy and nobody's stoned. I couldn't put it together. Really confused me. I went home after three times, knelt down and said, Jesus, if you're who they say you are down at that church, I'm going to invite you into my life. And that was 35 years ago today. He touched my soul. I couldn't understand. I couldn't articulate it, but I knew my soul had peace. And my girlfriend at one point said, I can't stand you putting Jesus before me anymore because she hadn't come to him. I didn't know I was doing that. And she gave me an ultimatum and it crushed us both. But I told her, there's no way. I said to her, I remember sitting in the front seat of my car with her. And I said, I can't, you cannot touch me in my soul the way Jesus has. I cannot give this up. And so I gave her up. And it was devastating for both of us. Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you my peace. And then he says, not the peace the world gives you. My peace I give to you. He is called the Prince of Peace. And that's the number one thing the human race is searching for is peace. So they came because he fed them. Verse 27, Jesus says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father set his seal on him. 
Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? In other words, how can we build a ladder to heaven? How can we connect with God? What can we do? What can we do outwardly to connect with? That's what all world religions are, by the way. Every religion on the planet is a works religion. What can I do to reach God? What can I do? Christianity is not what we do for God. Christianity is what God has already done for us. He saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. And so now we respond to him. Our motto here at the Gathering Place Church is loving God back. Will you say that with me? Loving God back. Say it again. Loving God back. See, he gave us salvation for free because he knew we could never earn it ourselves. And so once you receive Jesus... His peace enters your soul. Your sins are completely forgiven automatically because he paid for them on the cross. And everything we do after that, every dollar you give in the offering, every song that you sing, every person you forgive, every poor person that you provide for, every person you share Christ with, everything we do is nothing more than a big thank you. Christianity is a thank you religion. Because we got invited to the party when we shouldn't have. So Jesus responds to their works religion question. It says, Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God that you believe. That you believe in him who sent him. Who he sent. Therefore, they said, well, what sign will you perform that we can believe that you're who you say you are? And then they upped the ante. Remember how Jesus just multiplied all the bread then they said this our fathers because remember they're religious and they're prideful and they're arrogant our father ate the man our fathers ate the manna in the in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven right so he's like hey you gave us bread on the earth but our fathers got bread that moses you know prayed to god and god caused bread to come out of heaven and, and land on the earth they ate that in the desert and jesus responds uh, okay, you're trying to up the ante? Well, try this on. Moses, or certainly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. That's offensive. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread God, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Lord, give us this bread always. Isn't that amazing? They, 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 they don't get it. I mean, he's right in front of them. And they can't understand that Jesus is talking about himself. So he's going to say it plainly. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now I want to say something to the followers of Christ here today. When we come to Jesus, when you and I come to Jesus, he promises us we will never hunger and we will never thirst. So if you're hungry or thirsty, I want to say it's because you're not eating and drinking Jesus on a daily basis. And when we, and look, and when we don't do that, this is the reason I do the 30 for 30s. I don't want the 30 for 30s to be another religious yoke that your pastor puts on you and then you feel guilty for not doing it. That's not what it is about. I'm inviting you to come to the dinner table and let's all eat together. Let's eat his word. 
Let's drink his spirit in prayer and in reading the Bible and coming together and gathering. All these spiritual disciplines in themselves don't give us life. They are putting us into a position where we can taste Christ. These mechanisms can become our religion. And when you and I pray for prayer's sake, but we don't really connect with God, we're just trying to get our duty done and look at the watch. Okay, it's been 30 minutes. Woo, I'm out. Those spiritual disciplines can become our religion. And then we're no better than the Pharisees. Everybody say, oh, me. Go ahead and say it. Just feel it. Oh, me. We're going to try to get to an amen. But right now it might be an oh, me. Jesus gives us prayer and the word and the gathering together of his people and communion. He gives us these things to connect with him. And I promise you, I remember one time uh, Wilkerson, who wrote uh, um, the Bible, uh, he wrote he wrote the book, um, the Jabez Prayer, and he also wrote um, the, um, the, tr- the Vine or something. Huh? Secrets of the Vine, great books. I just can't remember the titles. He also did Walk Through the Bible, and he's known globally for walking through the Bible. In one year, you walk through the Bible. And if you're in Christendom, and you're in that, that sector of Christendom, you know that he's famous. And yet, he had lost his peace, and he had lost his joy. And he couldn't get it back, and he couldn't figure it out. So he went to his mentor. He flew to his mentor's house. They spent a couple of days together, and the mentor just asked him questions, like for two days, just kept asking the questions about his life and his journey. And it was like a confusion to one of the greatest leaders in Christendom that he had lost his soul peace. And after two days of questioning, after two days of questioning the man who had taught Christians all over the planet how to connect with Christ, his mentor said, I have found the problem. And he said, really? What is it? And he said, you need to get closer to Jesus. He said, what? You, you know that I'm the one that's done walk through the Bible, right, all over the globe. You're the, I'm the one that's taught everybody else how to study. and how to, He goes, yeah, you have. And that has become your relationship with God. Your ministry has become your relationship with God. Ouch! Now say, oh, ouch! Go ahead. Yeah. See? We can just do all these other things out here and call them our relationship with God. But I like what Moses says. Moses, right, you remember Moses. If you don't, I'll let you know because we have a generation growing up that literally doesn't know the Bible and it's really sad. And so just come to church and just keep listening and read the Bible and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get to know God. So Moses, God uses Moses to deliver three million Jews out of the Egyptian bondage. It's world history. He's going to take them into the promised land where there's grapes so big that it takes three or four guys to carry them. Milk, honey, prosperity, vineyards, all sorts of incredible stuff. You know, going from being slaves to being incredibly prosperous and blessed. But God was so frustrated with these people after a while because they just were so rebellious and not trusting and not being faithful and criticizing leadership. And I mean, they were just, you know, sinful like you and I. And God finally just said, you know, I've had it. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my angel with you 
up into the promised land and give you all the prosperity you want, but I'm just not going with you. You know, I, I'm just, I'm exhausted with, I'm just tired. And Moses says to him, I don't want another sale. I don't want another house. I don't want another promotion. I don't want another blessing. If you do not go with us, I'm not going. I'll stay here in this desert with you. So I don't think we're like that. I think we'd take the prosperity without his presence. What husband, what wife would want that kind of a relationship? Jesus is not a religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's a friendship with Almighty God. Amen. Amen. Woo! I'm telling you what, I did not trade in my girlfriend for religion. I tell you what. That wouldn't have done it. She wasn't as cute as my wife, but she was cute. I say that very loudly. As my wife is serving in children's church today, I love you so much more than I loved her. Well, I walked a fine line right there, didn't I, Josh? I was, woo! It's like Johnny Cash, the ring of fire, but I was right. <laughs> if you know what that song is about. Okay, so. So this first section we just read here was uh, to those of you who have not yet come to Christ. I'm going to read this again. Verse 40, John 6, 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What does the last day mean? He says it two or three times in this passage. The last day, according to the Bible, is everyone, the Bible says, lives once. You don't get reincarnated and come back over and over and over and over again and get to try it over and over again. You know what that's called? Remember I said every religion on the planet is a works religion, working for God's favor, working for your way to heaven. Christianity is the only religion on the planet that says you're never going to make it here. Let me do it for you because I love you. Reincarnation is a works religion because I didn't do it perfectly this time, but I get to die and come back and try it again. And then I get to come back and try it again. And then I come back and you keep trying it over and over and over and over until you finally arrive at nirvana. You, you finally ascend. You analyze any religion on the planet and you'll find out it is about us trying to become till we finally arrive. And Jesus says, stop all that nonsense. The Bible says, Jesus says, the penalty of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. So he slaughtered his son on the cross for our sins. If we can make it to heaven by being good and doing our own good works, then why did God sacrifice his son on the cross? There's no purpose for it. Which means Jesus was crazy. Because he said, I'm the son of God. Right here, he says it. Which means he either was 
a liar, which means he knew it wasn't true. Ha ha, gotcha. And we change our whole world calendar based on him. And Christmas and all that, that all goes away. It was just a big lie. And he knew it, so he was really a deceiver. Or he was a lunatic, meaning he really believed he was the son of God. My daughter last night, just goofing off with me because they know how to provoke me, she said, Dad, what if, what if I became a Muslim? Right? We're paint, I'm painting her room for her, and she does this to me. What would you do if I became a Muslim? I said, well, you know I'd love you no matter what. I said, but I would support you if you could answer this one question. Explain the resurrection to me. If you can explain to me how Jesus rose from the dead, but he's not the son of God, then I'll let you, I'll support you in whatever decision you make. Or if you can prove to me that he didn't raise from the dead. Because it is so easy to prove the resurrection from the dead. And everyone that refutes the resurrection from the dead, Jesus' resurrection, you can dismantle it so easily. It's not even logical. So Jesus here says that if you believe in him, you have everlasting life. So today you're here. You've never given your life to Jesus. I'm going to tell you what to do. Do the same thing I did. Simply pray this prayer. Jesus, even if it's this, even if it's this, Jesus, I'm not sure about you. I don't know if you're really the son of God or not. I really don't know. But I am inviting you into my life to show me who you really are. If you would just... Open the door of your heart that much. Jesus Christ will prove himself to you. I remember Gayathri, a gal that was in our church years ago when we first started the church. She was, she was a Hindu. Her dad was Hindu. And he, you know, he had a statue at home and his incense and he'd burn it and do his, his uh, worship every morning. And I've been to India and Vietnam and I've seen, you know, an Ethiopian. I've seen the rituals they do. And it's, it's genuine sincerity. They truly are wanting to reach God or their gods. And, and Guy 3 came to church because uh, a Christian who was going to our church brought her, so it was missionary dating. And I got done preaching, and she was so offended at me when I was done with the message. She came up and said, I cannot believe that you believe in hell. I said, well, and, I, and I'm standing there, and I mean, she was like really intense, and I was a little intimidated at first. And I'm thinking, what should I do? What should I do? You know, should I like soften it a little bit? Should I, you know, say, well, you know, because that's the moment, right? That's the moment. But I'm thinking to myself, if there's any hope that Gaithri will be saved from her sins and be forgiven, I can't pull any punches. The gospel is offensive because it makes a person say yes or no to Jesus Christ. But if you blur it and make it all gray, nobody has any hope. And I said to her, well, you know, heaven and hell are real. And you're going to go to one place or the other based on what you do with Jesus. And she was mad. She was, and she walked out. And the next week she came back. And then she came back again. And then she kept coming back. Until she had come to know that Jesus was the Son of God. And then she came down and she said, but my dad doesn't know I'm coming here because it's so offensive to him. And I understood. It's like betraying your family and offending your dad and his gods. It's real stuff. I mean, it's really intense stuff. 
But she had come to know that Jesus was truly the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do I do? And so her dad uh, commanded her not to come to this church. But her mom was okay with it because she had come to the Lord too. So she would sneak out and come to church. And then he caught her and he threatened her and kicked her out of the house. But she kept coming. She kept coming. And she became a beautiful worshiper of Jesus. I don't know what happened to her father. I really hope he came to Christ. But she opened her heart. And Jesus proved himself to her. Because there's no way she would have come to Jesus if he wasn't real. Okay, I'm going to use those last five minutes to talk to those who have already come to Christ. Jesus goes on to say this. Because I want to finish with the bread today because this is really critical to your intimacy with Christ. Remember I said Jesus wants you and I to have the same kind of relationship with him as we do with food and water. Meaning you and I cannot go very long without prayer and being in the word of God and being in fellowship. Or you you get soul sick and soul weak and depressed and discouraged and anxious and fearful. All that stuff in your soul is because we're not walking close to Jesus because Jesus isn't fearful and he's not depressed and he's not lonely and he's not worried. The closer we get to him, the more we get him on us. You are what you eat. Oh, that's a good one. You are what you eat. I could just cat the sermon for sure right there, right? You are what you eat. All right. John chapter 6, we're going to continue. Verse 48, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. This is for the follower now. Your followers ate the man and the widows and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, which one may eat and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, and I will give the life of the world. Now he's, now he's, ooh. Talk about a sermon that will kill your church. The Jews therefore quarrel among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So now he's teaching cannibalism. Verse 53, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Gross, Jesus. Seriously? Can you imagine his disciples, Peter, going, no, 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 we got such a good thing going right now. This is horrible PR. And he doesn't fix it. He goes on, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Again, the last day. The last day you draw, you draw your last breath, you meet God, and you give an account for your sin. And the penalty will be eternal separation from him. Unless you've given your life to his son, your sins are completely forgiven. Verse 55, he goes on, makes it worse. For my flesh is food indeed, and my body, my blood is drink indeed. Okay. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live. Everybody say, will live. This is what he's trying to say to us, family of God. If you feed on me, you will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These are the things he said in the temple. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? This is critical right here, and we're going to close with this. Who can understand it? When Jesus and himself knew that his disciples complained about this, he said, does this offend you? Well, what if you, what if then you, 
What, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? In other words, he's saying, are the things I'm saying to you offending you? Like gay marriage, like don't have sex before marriage, you know, like give 10% of your income to the kingdom of God, quit being fearful and materialistic, trust me, you know, like share your faith with your friends, only 1% of the body of Christ actually evangelizes, you know, like the things that Jesus says about himself, calls us to do, not to do, does this offend you, does this make you stumble? You're not sure about me? I mean, what if you see me ascend into heaven? Then you'll know that I'm the son of God. So would you then follow me fully and completely, whether you like it or not? Whether it offends your mind or not? Whether you're fearful or not? Right here he's calling for discipleship. Full-on, committed submission and followership. And I'm going to tell you something. That is when you experience complete freedom. I'm done arguing with you, God. I mean, come on. How many of you, if your children just said, whatever, Dad, whatever, Mom, I don't understand, but I trust you, and I'll do whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Revival! Woo! Man. Oh, God, just feel that. Oh. Oh. This is what Jesus was looking for, for his kids to quit arguing with them. Then he says this, look, he's, thank God he explains that it's all metaphorical at this point. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. In other words, you can gnaw on my arm and it's not going to give you eternal life. Come on, you knuckleheads. I'm ta- giving you a word picture here. The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. And this book is his words. And you feed on this book. You feed on the Bible. It feeds your spirit and your soul. This was not, these are not words of a man or men or women. This is God's, God-breathed, Holy Spirit-infused word. As you read the Bible, it feeds your soul and gives you strength. And then he says in verse 66, they still didn't get it. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. You have to ask yourself, where are you in your walk with Christ? Are you half-stepping? Are you afraid to obey Him, follow Him, fully and completely all the way? Look at the things He's already called you to do or not to do. What are you doing with those? That's the test of discipleship, disciplining ourselves, following Christ. Like the areas I said are real easy, like the tithing, first 10%, give it to God for his kingdom's sake. If you don't do it, it simply means you don't believe that he will open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing on you, have not room enough to receive it. It's that simple. So you do it even though you don't understand it. Jesus says this is the way you will prove that God's doctrine is true if you do it. That's the way you prove it. You do it and then he proves that his doctrine is true. Or whatever other area of life. Money's just a role. Money's the biggest struggle for all of us. That's the reason I throw that out there. Jesus said so. Where your money is, your heart is. That's the testing ground right there. So he turns to his disciples and says, Do you want to go away too? And Peter's answer needs to be, Fellow Christian, 
needs to be your and my answer too. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord. Everybody say, Lord. Lord. You see, when you don't understand something in the Bible, you don't understand Jesus' value system, you don't agree with it, you don't like it, but you call him, say it again, Lord. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, Peter said, I have no idea what that was all about. That was like the worst sermon you've ever preached. And I don't know if you noticed, but our church just shrank significantly. That was like the dumbest thing you've ever said publicly, and it's cost us dearly. But here's what I have come to believe. You are the Son of God. So whatever. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. And you know what I found? When I follow Jesus anyway, when my friends don't like it, my family doesn't like it, you don't like it, whatever it might be. When I know I'm following Jesus' command in my life, not that he would ever command me to do something that's outside of the Word of God, but when he commands me to do something that is unpopular and it looks like it's going to be detrimental to me in my own life and sacrificial, I have learned that when I obey him, kaboom, a blessing comes on me and on my life. And then I look back in 2020 hindsight, I'm like, wow, that was the right decision. You knew what you were doing the whole time. And that's called discipleship. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for everyone in here. Every one of us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us, Jesus. For letting our relationship with you turn into religion. And works. And obligations. No husband or wife wants to be in an obligatory relationship. And so, Lord, I know you forgive us because you know us. You know our tendencies and our weaknesses and our humanity. You, you, were, you were us. You became us. You understand. Lord, today we pray that every one of us would begin to feed on you again. That we would talk to you and listen to you and walk with you and obey you. I pray, Father, the Word of God will come alive to all of us, everyone in this church and everyone listening online and watching. We pray, Lord, that we all dive into your Word again and you'll begin to talk to us and our souls will experience that peace again and that joy and that contentment that only you can truly provide. And, Lord, I pray today for everyone here today and everyone listening and watching that has never given their life to you today, has never yielded their life. Lord, I pray today that they will say yes to Jesus so you can prove to them that you are the Savior of the world, the Son of God. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Woo! Amen. That was John chapter 6, the bread of life. Next week, we're going to John chapter 7, which he says, if you're thirsty, come to me. And I also got some liquid for you. Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's all stand. I'm going to call the prayer teams down.
Jesus has given us portals, portals from heaven. And that's where heaven can invade the earth. You got sickness in your body, disease in your body, you got anxiousness in your mind, you've got confusion, you deal with depression, or you have a loved one that has needs a miracle, whatever it might be. Or maybe you want to come down and and and, and have them pray for you to come back to Jesus. Or maybe come to Jesus for the first time. When I dismiss everybody, you come down this way to the prayer teams and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus today. I need, I need to know my sins are forgiven. I'm right with God. Or I need to come back to Jesus today. Or whatever your need might be. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together and they pray in agreement with my Father will release a miracle into the earth. That's why the prayer teams are down here. God, yours are so wonderful. You're so good. You're so real. Thank you for the thickness of your presence in this house today, this gathering of worshipers and seekers. I pray today, Jesus, that you take all the words I spoke today and make them real in our lives this week. And I pray that we will find soul peace because we are feeding on Jesus, the Son of the living God. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You're the salt light of the world. And no.